the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy today. Um, Pretty big day yesterday in politics. Politics, Main Street will sometimes run into Wall Street and be a very compelling story for a period of time. Uh, I think I made a pretty good point of it yesterday that... You know, in a midterm election, 17 out of 18 times in the year, in the three months following, 17 out of 18 times, so basically over the rest of November, December, January, the market's been up. The market is pretty healthy already in the month of November, historically. It's kind of end of the year, season flush. You got a little back to school, a little Christmas. Um, but... In the six months following a midterm election, the market's up 18 out of 18 times. And again, do that times four, and you can kind of figure out how far back this goes. And in the 12 months after midterm or during a midterm election year, you're talking about 18 out of 18. So are we due for a big miss? (laughs) That's the fear, right? Statistics don't always hold up. When you're a baseball player and you're batting 333, you still miss two out of three times. And 333 puts you in the basic Hall of Fame of the world, right? So markets are higher. Will we maintain that all day long? The Republicans, pretty much so, uh, ran the table. As far as midterm elections can go, it was probably as good as it got for them. When the Democratic Party, a.k.a. the Democrats, are sitting there hoping they can pull out Virginia, which in the last two elections have gone strongly for uh, President Barack Obama and presidential elections, it's telling you that President Barack Obama has lost his popularity. And it's telling you the only thing worse than the president's popularity is Congress's popularity. 
I've been living it. Yeah, I know, right? Now, no guarantees on anything. You know, I, I don't want to mislead you and say, you know, this is, you know, we're on the rocket ship to the moon because we've had five up years. I think one of the ironic things for the Democrats, or maybe it just sucks and there is no irony here, is the economy has been improving and jobs have been improving. And Friday we're going to see a jobs report that's likely to look a little bit better. So the next two years, the Republican Congress, the Republican-controlled Congress, could actually end up getting credit for an improving economy that, yes, they will have something to do um, with, but a lot of the seeds have already been put in place. Just like, you know, what President Barack Obama walked into was a recession that was going to happen. Um, how deep could he have done better? Sure. Um, hindsight is 2020. So, news of the midterm elections, the results earned Republicans' control of both houses of Congress has been widely cited as the driving factor for the bullish bias. It's being presumed a Republican-controlled Congress works to the advantage of energy stocks, financial stocks, the defense sectors, a potential change to the tax, trade, and immigration policies. At this point in time, anything that was far left is probably moving more towards the middle for compromise and or to the right. Extreme right, probably not going to happen, but you get the idea. So the Republican-controlled Congress won't have much immediate impact on U.S. policy or corporate profits since the government's still split between the two parties. You may be able to see something like a repatriation of cash overseas from corporate America to the United States with some sort of deal that infrastructure products are funded. Things like that are going to be the play. The true loss for the Democratic or the true loss last night for President Barack Obama was Congress did a kind of a no-no. They went from having a supermajority to you need a supermajority to end um, the placement of judges and you know arguing about it and, and slowing down the whole process. Last year they moved towards just a simple majority, and now. That year, it, it helped the Democratic Party put in Democratic judges, which would very much so likely help hold up or uphold Obamacare and the various challenges legally. So judges got, like flew through the system. And now it's going to be the opposite. Uh, President Barack Obama will be able to announce federal judges, appoint them, and Congress could say, you know what, we're not going to have a meeting on them. We don't like them. Bring us another one. So that's one of the biggest losers that people won't note. It won't be in the newspapers, but it is reality. So the ADP employment change report came out this morning, showed an estimated 230,000 jobs were added to the private sector payrolls in October, slightly ahead of expectations. Six times in seven months that the totals have exceeded 200,000, which is good. Uh, good producing employment increased by 48,000, while service providing employment rose by 181,000. Job gains were reported across the construction, manufacturing, trade, financial, and professional business services. ADP report sets a good tone ahead of the government's employment situation report on Friday. It isn't likely to alter economists' expectations much. Consistent expectation for non-farm payrolls and private payrolls stands at 235,000. 
um, services report that just came out. Let's see if I can't pull that up. Do, 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 do. So did you enjoy, I enjoyed election nights, and I particularly enjoy going from MSNBC lean left to CNN kind of in the middle, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm too dumb to figure that one out. To Fox Business and Fox News, way to the right. It was a party at Fox last night. I do one thing I really like about Fox, and I wish I could like have this in my life. Their graphics are amazing. They spend some big dollars on graphics. Okay, so ISM Services Index dips to 57.1% in October, but employment at a nine-year high. Services sector, such as retail and real estate, grew at a rapid pace, a little bit slower than October. Employment gauge hit a nine-year high. Readings over 50% signal that businesses are expanding instead of contracting, and we came in at 57.1%. The employment gauge, aside of hiring intentions, rose to 59.6, reading again, anything over 50 is bullish. Highest level recorded since 2005. I would say that's a pretty positive report. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. You don't have to be shy. Um, Brant, I'd love to hear your questions, your thoughts, your insights, your prayers. Uh, your love life issues. This is a total rounded show, not just business. Um, bloodbath is the only thing that you could say. Um, Time magazine's coming out and mocking Barack Obama with uh, you know his lack of change that he promised. Pretty much so the, the bandwagon's jumping out, out right now. And uh Taking it to the president. Gold's getting destroyed. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Let's take a break here. We'll be right back. Rob Black in your mind. passed a soda tax that now costs 68 cents per two liter bottle. So the price of sugar highs in Berkeley, California is about to get higher. Voters in the city approved a one cent an ounce tax on sugary sodas and energy drinks. That amounts to about 12 cents to the price of a can of soda and about 68 cents to a two liter bottle. Across the bay in San Francisco, a similar measure didn't get enough uh, votes to pass. Results, results should should show that Berkeley was pretty dominant. They won 75% of the vote on the measure. It was backed by a variety of groups from the Berkeley Dental Society, the local chapters of the NAACP, and Teachers Union. Overwhelmingly, scientific evidence shows that consumption of sugar drinks causes health problems, starting in childhood. Uh, diabetes, heart disease, tooth decay. Um, this exempts 100% juice drinks, which are probably just as bad sugary-wise. 
because you lose the pulp and it's a lot of sugar. Chocolate milk and diet sodas, as well as some retailers who pick up beverages outside of city limits. Uh, so that's interesting to note. Another uh, big thing that got passed yesterday is San Francisco is getting a $15 minimum wage. It passed with a 77% of the vote. Uh, that follows Seattle's approval in June to raise its minimum wage to $15. Under the law, wages will rise to 11.05 in January, 12.25 in May. By the end of the year, 15 bucks in 2018. Um, interesting to note, interesting to see. Let's take a look at some market numbers. Let's see where we are, because we kind of have been holding off a little bit based on the fact of, uh, you know, a big open doesn't always go somewhere. Um, SP 500 up six, not much. Dow up 55. NASDAQ up five. We were much higher. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, talking all things financial. Mr. Burton, this is a topic that I kind of want to bring up. It's kind of near and dear to me. My mom. She's now in that 80-plus category, and she's losing her mind. She thought someone came into her house and stole her dryer, and it's the same dryer that was there. And you can't talk to her. Like, she's all batty. Um, so I've, that's my mom. Um, she pays some people, like, $200 to shovel snow. $200 to shovel snow. She's batty. Let's talk a little bit about financial planning and, like, you know, some of these issues that come up as you get older. because. Right. You have to put your trust in someone. She's got her trust in, you know, her sons, which she's lucky, you know, but she still does buy some crap on QVC that drives us crazy. Oh, man. I know my, my grandmother, who was in a memory care facility before she passed, had four different subscriptions to Reader's Digest, two of the normal print okay. and two of the extra large print version that they also will give to seniors okay. that have bad eyes. What is uh, Reader's Digest all about? But have you ever read the short stories in Reader's Digest? I haven't. I remember reading those as a kid all the time because my grandparents always had Digest. I always saw them around the house, and I was like, I don't want to read that. Like, I'd look at it. I think the short stories are really good. Okay. You would like it. Okay. Author. Senior scams and everything. Yeah. How do we fight it? Um... Well, it's, you know, part of the communication of even having a long-term care plan, especially now that long-term care insurance is so expensive and most yeah. people that are over 70 can't get it anyway, um, is having that family discussion who's going to be responsible for it. Yeah. And doing a family identity theft protection service is very important, too. Okay, why so that? part of Well, because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, I had an insurance agent mail me a document, email me a document regarding a client situation. Yeah. That document had the social security number of both my clients and the social security numbers of their children on the document by email, no encryption. I don't know what email server this guy uses. I don't know if they have you know, firewalls and things like that. And I chewed him out. I said, don't ever email these documents again. Yeah. You chewed um, me out about passwords. Yeah. Chad and, uses crazy passwords. It's always like ampersand dash two <laughs> underscore capital four. I was like, I didn't even know there was a capital for, for numbers, but there is. Yeah, we have passwords in the auth anvil where you you know have to get get your phone out and get a an eight digit code that yeah. changes every time you sign in. Um, our wealth management site does the same thing, so it, I think security is important, but it's it's still going to happen. I think um, one of the things that you kind of said there was you're going to have to work with a family member or someone trusted. Mm-hmm. But if you're a family member and you're helping mom with her bills and long term care, you need to read those contracts. You need to learn, like, because uh, that's, like, my mom couldn't handle her own long-term care at this point. 
Right. Uh, and she'd get ripped. She, you know, the hospital's not going to read it for her, and the hospital's going to charge her. And then, you know, she's in, she's going to end up paying if she doesn't do it right. The, and there's countless stories, and there are medical bill consultants that are out there too, which which might be helpful for people that are dealing with big health issues of mom or dad that had a health crisis. But, you know, part of doing a family plan is also realizing that the person that's going to spend the time helping mom with all those situations. Yeah. A lot of times that person might be in a separate state that is looking out saying, oh, well, you know, why are they getting more? The person that helps mom or dad, you know, it's okay to compensate them extra, give them a little bit more because they were there for them. They took the time out of their job or whatever. It's a lot of work. It's very stressful. Now that you mentioned, I know two people whose um, siblings hate each other mm-hmm. because he lives right next to mom and doesn't go visit her, and I take care of her, and he wants more. Yeah. Um, he wants the house because he thinks he's entitled to it. And I, I've seen, and there, there's another one where it's just it's just downright nasty, and there's legal issues between siblings about who's taking care of mom and how it's being done and why are the finances disappearing. Right. How can people do that, Chad? I don't know, but it, you know, if mom and dad are smart enough to compensate a, a person for that, it needs to be clearly will, written in the trust. Yeah. Um, it's almost better that rather than cutting somebody out of a will, is to leave them five thousand dollars, right? And so you get that, and this is all you're getting, and be very clear on that. Than have any ambiguity of, oh, mom was just losing it when she did the trust, so she right. was going to put me in the trust, but she forgot I was existence. And this is a then they sue. So if you have a financial plan, you should discuss the financial plan with your children long before you die. My dad died without telling us how much insurance he had. Policy had recently lapsed. Died without telling us how much credit card debt he had. He had about 60000 mm-hmm. Um So while my mom was mourning him, I was going through and finding out my dad was a financial disaster. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of tragic because I should have been mourning him too. And we should have a financial planner like Chad Burton say, guys, sorry about your dad. Everything's covered. We didn't have that. So anyway, that's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Tesla is one of the four car makers to earn a five-star rating in the latest set of European crash tests by independent regulators. Um, it's an interesting company, to say the least. Is it a car company? Is it a product company? Um, European Car Assessment Program. Awarded its highest-rated Tesla's Model S in a batch of six tests. Cars made by BMW, Volkswagen, Nissan also received five stars. Achieving five stars uh, isn't uncommon, but Model S is just one of a few cars to have reached a five-star rating from both the United States and this European uh, car assessment program. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Let's talk money. Let's talk your financial future. Let's talk elections if you want to. 
Good morning, good morning. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money invested, and more. Republicans now control both U.S. chambers of Congress. Republicans needed six additional senators to win a majority in Tuesday's midterm election. They won seven, with maybe a couple more on the way in, um, after the dust settles in Louisiana. Democrats are freaking out when you're cheering for an eke-out win in Virginia. You really, really had a bad bloodbath. UBS's Julian Emanuel notes that when Newt Gingrich and the Republican Revolution took Congress with Democrat Bill Clinton sitting in the White House, stocks began a historic bull run. Some would argue that gridlock could actually be bullish for the stock market. It can. Uh, the less things that get approved, um, the less government costs rise, the less taxes are being taken from you and me and businesses, and thus we kind of retain and corporations kind of retain what they're going to do with their cash if nothing gets done. Um, I think it's the amount of governors that won last night by the Republican Party, I think it sets up very, very poorly. Well, let's just put it this way. It just probably made Mitt Romney say, you know what, I may run in 2016. Because the, the state influence is clearly shifting again, maybe back to the norm. Maybe we went to Democratic uh, Party, and now we're shifting back towards the middle. I don't know. I don't really have a good answer on that. My politics are not well fleshed out, but I do understand how they play with Wall Street. Oil's tumbling again, uh, down to $75.84 a barrel. Great for airlines, horrible for oil equipment, infrastructure. Toyota just boosted its profit forecast by 9%. And it's also interesting about oil real quick is how much money we've put into the infrastructure to get more oil out of the U.S. grounds in the last two years. And now, like, suddenly the price is collapsing. Deflation is never a good thing. Just FYI. Toyota boosted their profits forecast by about 9%. Sharp decline in the yen against uh, is going to help against other currencies. Uh, the French government approved a GE Alstom merger. So Alstom's power business, uh, General Electric, is spending $15.6 billion to buy it. And I think that's about all we really have. The ISM Services Index number came out. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Um, let's talk a little real estate. Joining us now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Talking real estate, talking lending. Um, just got an email, Tony, from a property manager on one of my rentals. And she asked the question, your lease is expiring in June. Um, great time to release your home. The tenant would like to stay until December 31. That's when her retirement has been delayed, too. It puts me in a dilemma. It puts me in a yeah. quandary, right? Well, you're in a good position to begin with because you're using a property manager who can help you Say, give you some statistics. What are the percentages, uh, or is it higher percent chance I'm going to rent in June than in December? Probably more in June than in December because people are starting to shuffle things around for the summer, sure. finding schools and families, things like that. Although people might be out for summer. So this is some questions that you're going to want to ask your your. Keep in mind, this is a single, single family home. Yeah, um, it's not luxurious. It's probably not going to attract a family as much as it's going to attract independent professionals who might want a roommate kind of scenario. Um, now, on the other hand, I have a rental 
my lease is always for the last nine years has been up on February 1st. And okay. I've, I haven't had any problems renting in okay. February 1st. So it's all about your property manager. Since it's out of the state, it's something that you have to rely on that property manager to give you the right information. So I would recommend you just talk to them and figure out what the percentages are for success. This is a rental in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And every time you look at the fastest growing cities in America, Every time you look at the lowest unemployment, it's in Raleigh. Yep. You know, it's a name Rock. that constantly pops up. Mm-hmm. They, Seattle, Oklahoma City, um, Houston, Austin, uh, Denver, all the cities where young people are going to. So I'm thinking, and again, this is it, that's the damnation game. I'm thinking I could probably rent it. I, I love the tenant. She's been no problems, yep. no poop on the walls, no marijuana, no... Here, here's the other side of the email, and I, I can see it here, saying that she's, she's her retirement's been pushed out. So now if... You kick her out in, in June. She has to find a place temporarily for six months. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, she may want to re- renew the lease in December after she retires. So there's some things you may, you may want to t- have them talk to the to your renter and see if there's uh, you know some something you can compromise. Maybe say you know what we'll renew it for two years and see what she says. Yeah. So I, there are some options that you can do here. And here's the other angle that I don't like at all. Is my property manager contacting me saying, like, hey, look, I know that I get a whole month of rent every time I put a new person in. She's not, I mean, they're not that. But there is a little bit of that going on. There's a little bit. I mean, they're definitely in, in the business to make money. Yeah. And keeping the houses rented, are, it's going to produce cash flow yeah. for them. Yeah. And see, I'm thinking, do I have more money this June? Do I have more money at Christmas? Because when that tenant goes out, new paint, new a lot of things are going to go into it to improve it. Now, well, there's another thing to consider as well. If if you renew it, are you going to raise her rent? If you get a new renter, That's can you true. raise the rent? That's true. I gave this woman a sweetheart deal on the rent when the economy was stinking. That's why she wants to stay then. Yeah. yeah. So I could easily charge an extra 200 to $400 a month. You know, uh, Raleigh's uh, been on the top of the list as far as rents. Uh, one of the stats that I look at is uh, rental uh, multifamily construction in the United States. And Raleigh hit the top of the list in the top three. Yeah. Um, there was a huge percentage increase in the construction of rental apartments. Um, so there's a need for rents, rentals. And you know yeah, that the what is it called the uh, triangle there? Yeah. It's called technology triangle or something like that. Yeah. And and you're not too far from there, so you have a desirable property, and you're near the freeway. Right. So there's some good things that you have about the property that can command more rent. So I this is a tough one for me. You got a lady who wants to retire. You've had her in there for a while. You're gonna Screw her over, basically, if you kick her out. I'm not screwing her over. I'm getting her below same, market rent. At the same time, you could rent, you know, turn around and rent. It's a, what do you want to do? What BMR. Do BMR. I just made up a term. Although other people use that term. Be be nice. What? Uh, below market rent. Uh, below market rent. Okay. Uh, so, ASAP, BMR, RB, call me, DM. Um, so, you know one of the reasons I bought in Raleigh? Explain it. I, I know why, but go ahead and... Because the girls there are 18. Oh, okay. I'm 18. I love that. I'm they... pretty sure my answer would have been quite a bit different. You know, uh, it's fantastic. Every time I go back to North Carolina and visit, it's 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 culture shock because they have grits at the restaurants. Grits. And um, I figured out why they lost the Civil War in the South. Because they talk really slowly. They think of a bagel... I'd like a bagel and cheese. And they're like, you want to eat a dog with cheese? And they're like, I'm going to go get your breakfast for you. And that's how the, na- the North took him over. 
They just they were taking too long to <laughs> they explain. They to death, right? No, it, while they were trying to explain that the soldiers were you know a mile away, the soldiers were Marty marched on them. So anyway, um, Raleigh, North Carolina, Durham, uh, the, the research well, and that was a good investment strategy that you pulled. I mean, we were talking about this for several months. Uh, places in the United States to to uh, buy rental properties. Yeah. And again, it's something that I've talked about people here as Bay Area prices have gone up. What are some of the alternatives where people want to still get into real estate? There's rents are going up all across the nation, and there's still good opportunities in many, many cities there's across no the United States. Sh- there's no shame renting here and buying a rental somewhere else. We, we had a 1031 exchange guy on the other day explain why buying rental properties makes sense. As soon as you know, you have somebody else paying off your real estate, and then you we'll can talk transfer. About, yeah, yeah, let's we'll say that for that another show. day. I mean, it's there's there's many reasons why you buy rental property, but I, first time owners, property management because they'll answer questions like that for you. Absolutely, and um, that ties that up in a nice little bow. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. He is a mortgage lender. He is my mortgage lender. He's done numerous mortgages for me. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black. A couple things on last night. You know, one of the losers, probably minimum wage. Um, Even as voters in Arkansas, Nebraska sent Republicans to the Senate by overwhelming margins, they also approved by overwhelming margins ballot measures to raise their state's minimum wage. A Republican Congress, probably not going to do a lot, but states are. So in Nebraska, the new minimum wage is 9 bucks. In Arkansas, $8.50. So um, President Barack Obama has been calling for, you know, to raise the federal minimum wage. And maybe that'll be part of a compromise going forward, but that's probably one of the, the bigger nationwide losers last night. Obamacare, the president's most notable legislative achievement, the Affordable Care Act, is in the Republicans' crosshairs. It wasn't as big of a campaign issue as everyone thought it would be a year or two ago, but it still played a role in energizing the GOP base. The problem for Republicans, they hate Obamacare, but haven't really proposed anything of substance to replace it. Um, there's going to be tinkering on the margins of the programs. Absent a Republican president with control of Congress, Obamacare isn't going anywhere for now. But big night for the Republicans for sure. I think the one area that they're going to attack pretty aggressively, um, Dodd-Frank. Republicans hate Obamacare, but they have massive disdain for Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank likely to be targeted by Republicans is the provision that small banks have to follow the same rules as big ones. This could be a time to consider a regional banking index if your portfolio doesn't have one. If that's something you need, it's lining up to be positive. Doesn't mean it'll happen. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. So Republican victory. Last night, Republicans took control of the Senate and added to their already large majority in the House. There's not a lot of difference between Republicans and Democrats as far as numbers go. 
as far as voting numbers go. It's interesting to think that a, a route is considered 53% to 47% in votes, and you and I would think that's that's just a couple more coin flips, right? So we saw some races go down to, you know, three, 4,000 votes. We're kind of a nation that's a lot more similar than we are different in the middle. In the far extremes, we're not. Um... And it's interesting how the far extremes could change the voter base, and sometimes rally the voter base. Um, Barack Obama brought voters out in his last two presidential elections. Not so much this time. Um, in Arkansas, they re- uh, brought on a new senator who was Republican, and Bill Clinton couldn't even stop that. So it's an interesting shift. Um, I do like how our Congress and our political system is set up on some levels. Uh, on others, it's it's just problematic. We don't have enough representation. I saw a 30-year-old woman was nominated to the Republican Senate last night um, out of New York. Youngest woman ever. I'm like, yes, we have a millennial in office. Millennials will be very happy to see that. She actually went to Harvard with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and at one point in time she saw Zuckerberg out on the the like campus uh, field trying to recruit people to move to California with them. She thought it was interesting, but didn't do it. Probably worth a couple billion dollars now if she did, but she's the first woman in the Senate. Utah put in a a black woman, a black woman senator. Republican. Oh, Republican was the word I was looking for, which uh, that's kind of crazy. It was either Utah or Nevada. Long night started string together. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, so even some of the races decided, as of right now, Republicans still will have 52 seats, a gain of 7. In the House, the GOP will now have at least 243 seats, a gain of 14. When all results are in, it could be the largest Republican majority in the House. It's Harry Truman. That's seven decades ago. So big night, but big enough? No. That's because whatever this bigger, newly energized Republican juggernaut does, President Obama dislikes, you know, he could still veto it. It takes two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate to override a veto. Republicans have nowhere near two-thirds of either chamber. So the bottom line is get ready for a lot more gridlock, but also get ready for a lot more compromise in the middle. Um, when the Democrats had, you know, when Obama first got in, if he wanted a lot of left-leaning policy... That was the time to do it. Um, Bank regulation is going to obviously help the banks. I think you're going to see Republicans attack that. Uh, Student loans. You know, this is something we don't talk enough about. Mark Cuban came out with an interesting commentary piece recently, and I know you're saying you're quoting a billionaire Shark Tank guy. Kind of, yeah. Um, In large part, I don't think he's stupid. So Senate Democrats failed to get permanent solutions that they craved on, you know, easing the burden of student loans. With rates set to soar last summer, the Bank on Students Emergency Loan Refinancing Act, sponsored by Elizabeth Warren out of Massachusetts, would have helped 25 million people refinance school debt accumulated before 2010 at 3.8%. Republicans worried about the fiscal burden blocked her, and Democrats couldn't muster enough votes to send, you know, to end the debate over the measure and vote. 
Elizabeth Warren is probably going to be the biggest winner out of the Republican Party domination last night, in large part because she can still have a very loud voice because she wasn't part of those elections. And she could criticize both Obama and the Republicans and play for votes. Then again, you know, Hillary Clinton, she's more moderate than Elizabeth Warren, probably a little bit more electable because of that moderate to get some of the swing voters. But um, right now, back to student loans, the law ties rates on undergraduate student loans to 2.05% on Stafford loans, plus the yield on the benchmark 10-year treasury. Given that the 10-year treasury is low, it's possible, positive. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what reforms we go after, what we don't, what we compromise on, what we don't, or is it just gridlock? So one thing that is expected, in my opinion, is some sort of change on corporate tax laws. We're a nation that hasn't changed our corporate tax laws in a very, very long time, even though we live in a different world. Paul Ryan, who might be the future chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, said, quote, if I could change just one thing in Washington, it would be to fix the tax code. Republicans are attached to comprehensive tax reform, which typically means overhauling much of the approach to personal taxes, including those for small businesses. Democrats don't like that. This amount of tax cuts for the wealthy, non-starter. Expect Democrats to be focused on the ever-divisive question of territoriality on profits overseas which brings us back to American businesses. Chief executives have been consistently pressing for change, especially in light of corporate inversions that are relocating U.S. companies and their tax dollars abroad. Comprehensive tax reform and comprehensive immigration reform going to be big on the debate platform. Again, some obvious winners, energy sector, financial sector, defense sectors, um, corporate taxes, trade, and immigration policies. We'll see. Um, going to be a mighty fun, mighty fun uh, two years going into another election cycle. Coca-Cola has a new product called Coca-Cola Life. It's nationally rolling out. 60-calorie, 8-ounce soda, no artificial sweeteners. 70% of purchasers like the taste of it. Some people have already replaced their Coca-Cola with Coca-Cola Life. They like the look that it's in green. 80% said they'd buy it again. I've got no comment on that other than interesting. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 
1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street I'm Business Rob Black Network. talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Let's talk money. Let's talk investing. Let's talk Republican route. Should be good for Wall Street. With that said, you know, I hate, should be, historically has been, really good. Um, we could look for winners and, lo- lo- winners and losers. It was a good day for marijuana. It was a good day for Hillary Clinton. Um, it was a good day for, or today is a good day for energy, financial, and defense stocks. Corporate tax is likely to get some sort of work done on them in the next two years because anything that was far left on President Barack Obama's agenda has now moved more towards the middle. Republican middle? Democratic middle? I don't know if I have an answer for you. Uh, but, you know, Hillary Clinton, big winner. Uh, in large part, she's got a little family history to look back on. Party managed, the Republican Party managed to seize control of the Senate by picking up seven seats at least. Probably going to be another one. Well, a dizzy and 14 gubernatorial races were toss-ups heading into November 4th. Almost all of them broke towards the GOP. Americans are plainly disillusioned with President Barack Obama. According to exit polls, uh, 54% disapprove of his performance as president. 65% say the country is headed in the wrong direction. The change that he promised never really materialized. The GOP is celebrating. Let's hope that there's some sort of, let's figure this out and work and get some positives going for we the people. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton's kind of stayed away from Barack Obama. So I think Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren look like the two frontrunners for the nomination in 2016 even though neither have really committed, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so Clinton, assuming she's the nominee, will start out with 242 electoral votes in 2016. She'll only need 28 of the remaining 183 toss-ups to win the election. To defeat her, the Republican candidates or candidate would basically have to run the table in purple states, not a game plan with high probability of success. So the electoral playing field already favors Democratic presidential nominee. In the last six elections, 18 states have voted for the Democratic Party every single time. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Can that flipping continue into a presidential election? I, I don't know. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, it's an easy topic to get into... A lot of spending, a lot of fluff. It's been done before and again, but the prenup. Prenuptial agreement, financial contract between you and the person you're marrying, typically considered a contentious idea in the media. What's your thoughts? It shouldn't be. I think that uh, if you can't, it's really a barometer, I think, for the marriage. If you can't talk about money, if you can't talk about a prenup, um, then you're probably going to have problems. We all know that, what, about 50, 55% of marriages fail? Yep. Where prenups are even more important is t- tends to be that second marriage, and 60% of second marriages fail. Wow. And the second marriage, you're dealing with issues of not only money, but also of children from previous marriages, and that, you know, how do you 
step parent. Um, how do you deal with those issues on top of money? So prenups, you know, if you're getting married straight out of college, unless you're doing a, you know, you're a, you're already well into your law degree or you're, you know, you're going to medical school or whatever. Um, a lot of times there's not a lot to protect. But in your second marriage, you have kids, you have assets, you have, uh, you might have a business where you have salary, which is community property plus profit distributions, which can you can separate outside of that. Um, so it's really important in that second marriage to talk about money, talk about how the kids are going to be raised, talk about prenup. You've already been through a divorce once, so don't don't do it wrong again. So a prenup is a good idea. I always tell the story about how out of college I lived with a girl and uh, she swears one album was hers, one CDs was hers. I swear I bought it. And when we broke up, it was contentious over a CD. Yeah. Could you imagine more important things like IRAs or if you own a business? Like Sorry, about CD. What about what about these iTunes accounts that married people end up with all this music and then how do you split that up? I don't know. You can have it. <laughs> just go. You can, your, you can have your 99 left balloons. <laughs> you can have it. Just go. It's a phrase that pays. Um, so you need a prenup if you're going to get an inheritance, if you own a business, if you have children from a previous relationship, like Chad said, if you don't make a lot of money now, but maybe your future earnings are going to be greater. Uh, you know, I'm a classic example of that. And like kids in law school. You know, they get married in, in grad school, and then, you know, he, she supports him. She's waiting tables. He's getting his law degree. Next thing you know, he's making a giant salary five, ten years down the road, and uh, there's an L splitsville. Yeah. Well, too, and a lot of business owners, a lot of business owners end up, you know, the first ten years of, of working and, and being a slave to your, your business that you're trying to create, you don't make a lot of money in the beginning. You're always working towards that future scenario of, okay, the business is now finally running itself instead of you running the business. And that's when you can start taking profit distributions and things like that. So a lot of marriages fail when you have a business owner that's, you know, kind of a workaholic. And so in that second marriage, it tends to be when that business owner is now finally hitting that point where they wanted. They have the right salary. They have the right profit distributions. So that's when it's really important because when you get married, Rob, your salary is typically community property. So that's really hard to protect. And you can you can do certain things in terms of, well, if the marriage lasts this long and you're at home taking care of the kids and maybe I'll pay support for a certain period of time. You've got to think that all through. If you're going to get married and you both have kids or, or you have kids and the spouse doesn't, who's going to take care of the children? And what's going to happen if the divorce lasts 10 years and one person stayed at home and didn't join the workforce? How are you going to help? How are they going to get retrained? There's all sorts of things that come in the prenup agreement. People need to do this before they cohabitate and well before marriage. Yep. It's tough to do after, and it's tough to do when you suddenly learn, like, this person has a problem communicating with money. It's right. emotional for them. Well, after, yeah, I mean, the prenup is before. So the postnup comes into play where you get, you know, a separation occurs and almost a divorce, and then you kind of, usually a postnup will come into play where, okay, fine, I'll get back together. But you had a debt problem. You had a gambling problem. You had a spending problem. So if we if we get <laughs> you know back, my, you to, know my life really well. <laughs> if we get you spent too much on scotch, if we <laughs> if we get back together and we do end up getting divorced after all, after all, here's what's going to happen. Gotcha. Anything else that we need to know? Um, boy, it's you can't don't do a bunch of frivolous things. I, I've seen really odd things in a in a prenup where people get caught up in uh, literally how much you're supposed to weigh 
who's supposed to mow the lawn, who's, you know, those types of things. So don't, don't get caught up in it. Make, make it uh, open communication. Use a counselor to approach it um, if you think it's going to be contentious. But the prenup, you've got to put everything on the table. That's a chance where you show all your assets, all your liabilities, because if you don't, they're not going to hold up. I think I think weight should be part of a marriage contract. Yeah. So it, it how unfair to marry someone and then they become a drunken slob. <laughs> Story of my life. Story of my life. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I will Republican gain from voter anger over Obama's economy. It's interesting, uh, like I, I've, I've mentioned before, that the economy's slowly improving, and the Republicans might be in line to get like, oh yeah, see, since you voted us in, look what's happened. It's been slow, but it has been improving. Big, 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 big jobs report on Friday. Um... Republicans are now going to take the role of the Democrats and try to figure out, like, um, how far do we push this agenda? And Democrats are going to take the role of the Republicans and, oh, we will find ways to slow you down. Anyhow, we'll see. Um, let's see. We have a contest going on. The Musical Chicago. We'll take the... Eighth caller, eighth caller, caller receives a pair of tickets to Chicago the Musical, starring John O'Hurley, Tuesday, November 11th, at the SHN Orpheum Theater in San Francisco. Chicago the Musical begins November 7th, limited two-week engagement, must close on November 16th, so it's a fast in and out, a true New York institution. Chicago has everything that makes Broadway great, tale of fame, fortune, and all that jazz. One show-stopping song after another. John O'Hurley, you may remember him as Jay Peterman on Seinfeld. Chicago is the winner of six 1997 Tony Awards. Time Magazine calls it a triumph. Newsweek says it's smashing. So we'll give the eighth caller at 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You have to be able to go. See Chicago the Musical Tuesday, November 11th. That's six days from now at the SHN Orpheum Theater in San Francisco. Call now, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Now, let's talk a little real estate. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony, you work in the mortgage industry, so you see a lot of what's going on. Uh, You put together a lot of the paperwork. One of the pieces of paperwork that you put together is insurance on the home. Right. You want to make sure the person who's buying a home gets homeowner's insurance before the transaction's finished. Um, is that a law or is that a courtesy? 
Uh, it's a lender requirement. Lender requirement? Okay. Lender requirement. I mean, if you own your house free and clear, you're going to obviously want to protect your asset. But the lenders have tighter guidelines on, on what is required as far as what your coverages are, your, your liabilities, insurance. I think everyone needs to review their paperwork every five years. This is a very odd concept, but my business is worth more than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. So I need to change my life insurance in case and I And building die. costs have gone up and, then, and replacement costs. Well, before we get there, let, let me finish this thought so that people can tie it together nicely. If I were to die, my partner buys me out. I have life insurance on him. He has life insurance on me. Perfect, right? But we have to up that every five years because the value of the business goes up. Right. So that's kind of frustrating. With that said, same thing with your home. I bought my house five years ago. I could tell you that the houses on my street, the quality has gone up a lot with people um, rebuilding their homes, with their bringing in construction. Um, some people are doing complete teardowns and putting in super fancy nice homes. That scares me a little bit because that means yeah. for me to rebuild, it's going to be more expensive. Well, and, and look at this mathematically, though. It's not always the rebuilding cost. Your, your land is what's going up faster than that. It's your insurance policy every year, to be honest with you, because you may have bought new items that you're including in your house, or you may have upgraded a kitchen or had some new appliances. There's a lot of things you can include into your insurance policy um, on your homeowner's policy. So I would look at it every year. Most people, I think it's about 80%, I think it's a statistic, is under, they're underinsured yeah. on their home. Um, so you want to keep looking at your policy on a yearly basis, especially if in, in a market like this where home prices are going up and down, land prices are going up and down. You're not insuring your land, but you're insuring the rebuild cost and everything else inside. So let's talk that concept a little bit. Um, every now and then there's a just true disaster. And you have homeowners insurance, you feel very comfortable with it, but you've been living in the Oakland Hills for 20 years and a fire sweeps through the Oakland Hills. You're not going to be able to afford to rebuild. You're, you're done. Yeah. You're selling that piece of land, and someone else is going to build there. Um, because in 20 years, housing and construction costs have gone up significantly. Uh, and I would check your coverage, yeah. too. Um, some people might think they have the right kind of hazard insurance, the right kind of fire coverage. I was recently talking to a friend of my parents, and they had a home in New Jersey that was wiped out by Sandy, was the storm. Uh-huh. And a year earlier, their insurance company said, we don't want to own any policies on the coast, and they got rid of it. Uh, and they went with a sub a sub standard type of insurance company that replaced it, and it did, and they did not cover the flood. So you go and look at at your policy, especially if you, if you're in a sort of like flood not flood zone, but like a landslide zone. I looked at a house not recent not too long ago where part of the uh, disclosure said that it was in a like a landslide area. So I mean, this, these are some some of the things you need to have on your coverage. You and I spent some time on the East Coast in our younger years, and it was an auto insurance company called Katz Auto Insurance, and it was spelled K-A-T-Z. And there, the, it was a lie. I'm like, never use an insurance company that can't even spell. I like using – I use USAA. My dad was in the military. It's the greatest insurance company ever. I love them. So that keeps the cost of my – and then I, I put my auto insurance with them. They give me a multi-policy discount. So I'm very, very pleased. I like multi-policy discounts. Everyone should consider it. Like if you need term life – Call your auto insurance that's a, that's and see if they can do it. a great piece of advice. Um, put everything together, get a, a lower discount, absolutely. And go with quality. I think Geico is great if you can't get USAA. Um, I would not go with the local insurance agent. And again, I'm pissing some people off. I know. I want If Warren Buffett bought Geico for a reason and everything's on a phone and you never actually have a real estate agent. But yeah, if you want to test your policy, I can call Geico right now or USAA and say, hey, does my house cover if a meteor hits it? Does my homeowner's cover it if, you know, Someone breaks in. What's my deductible? 
call these people and yep. ask ask questions and get the answers before the disaster happens. With that said, very, very important to review your policies. That's the last thing I'm going to say, because also on some policies, sometimes you designate, like I had, I had life insurance that went to my first wife. That would not have been good if Cindy, if I died, she gets insurance. Chad's got that story where one of his financial planners um, out of college had a boyfriend, and he put her name on yeah. the policy. She, he gets married, has a kid, dies, and the life insurance went to the girlfriend from college. I mean, even as small as if you have kids and you have more kids coming out on your property and other people and you have a pet, for example, those are things that you need to change your policy as well. It's not just about the house. It's about the liabilities that go along with it. Number one claim on homeowners insurance. Dog bites. Dog bites. Yep. Buy a cat, sell the dog. Yep. With that said, that's Tony Mendez. You can find him online at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Number of black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more, 800 516 It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Um, markets today. Let's see, they're hanging in the positive, but not by as much as I would have thought. Let's take a break here. I'll be right back. I've got my hands in my Trying to say, oh yeah, it's business time. Joining me now, Doc Tom. Interesting to hear if he has any takes on the election, tying together Main Street and Wall Street plus the economy. How are you, Mr. Rosen? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Good. Now, do you prefer to be called Doc Rosen or Dr. Jeffrey Rosen? <laughs> Jeff is fine. Jeff's fine. Oh, good golly. What did you think of those elections last night? Um, I think the Republicans rolled. I think that was pretty much as expected. Uh, I don't think it's going to have much difference on policy. You know, if you've looked at since uh, Obama became president in 2008, you need 60 votes in the Senate to get anything done. You know, that's not going to happen with you know the way it is. And uh, to make things even more harder for the Republicans now that they do control the Senate, you know, you got to override a veto, which is 67 votes, which there's no way they're going to get. And, and pretty much anything that goes on. So uh, I, I don't see much, you know, Republican-centric legislation getting passed that could have that much of an effect on uh, overall economic growth. You know, maybe they can get something done on immigration that would be interesting. Uh, maybe they can do something on transportation that would be interesting. But 
any of these partisan uh, type bills that uh, you know kind of feed their own um, you know party centric uh, supporters will probably not get passed. With that said, let's um, let me ask the, the simple question: as an economist, um, as a financial media journalist, me, it's widely thought that Republicans are better for the economy, Democrats are better for the social fabric of the United States. As an economist, are Republicans better for the economy? You know, if you ask Republican me, ideas, yeah, I mean, if you ask based on what they say and then what they do, you know, a lot of things of what they say are good, but what they actually implement, you know, is not what they say. And it's not saying that Republicans, you know, talk a good word or Democrats talk a good word. It's just the, you know, the fundamentals of, you know, a society or democratic society. You you don't have the autistocrats that would be in charge that you would expect to make, you know, perfect economic policy, so to speak. You know, you have, you know, people in charge that are trying to align their microcosm of a world, you know, their districts or, or whatnot, and support their projects, but it may not be the best project to support for economic growth in the entire country. So, you know, it's more of everyone, you know, you talk a good talk, but it's not necessarily, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, what I want to see now is, you know, a transportation bill that can somehow you know, put a bunch of people to work and get, um, you know, get jobs basically to renew the infrastructure. You know, the IMF came out with a study, uh, I want to say it was last month, that showed that the returns on infrastructure investment are much greater than the costs. Now, you know, you never want to say everything's a free lunch because that's basically what the IMF is saying. But, you know, it's interesting that we can have projects, especially at interest rates, you know, where they currently are, uh, take advantage of them, you know, put these people that are underemployed back to work, get some good jobs out there, and it's for a cause that, you know, it's not just digging a ditch and then filling it back. It's rebuilding bridges that, you know, look like they could fall apart, rebuilding, um, you know, roads and introducing rail systems. It's, it's a good thing for the economy. I'd like to see Keystone done. You know, I don't see I, – I don't quite understand why the Keystone pipeline isn't um, – something that everybody can agree with you know we've been transporting oil for you know decades now on pipelines and they're a safe you know way of transport i don't see why you know this this is taking so long except the fact that you know environmentalists don't want canada to to, you know release the oil from the oil sands but you know that's not going to happen regardless if uh, keystone goes or not so these are projects that the republicans you know claim to say that they want to do i'd like to see them implemented i'd like to see obama accept these projects because i think they're uh, good for the general economy any last commentary you want to throw out about what we saw last night and what you expect yeah i, I think that we're not going to see anything until january let's okay. wait till everyone becomes uh you know that we're elected actually start sitting in the, on these meetings that are supposed to happen. I don't think the lame duck Congress sessions are going to be very productive, but they're generally not very productive. So let's just you know keep our hands you know tied and see what we'll see what goes on. I, I don't expect too much out of the new Congress, but you know it would be nice to see something. One of the commentaries that I threw out this morning is it's almost going to be tough love or tough luck that the economy seems to be improving slowly but surely. Now that the Republicans control Congress, if the economy continues to improve slowly but surely for the next year or two years, 
they're going to take credit for it on some levels. I find that kind of noteworthy. Um, and, of course, President Barack Obama will try to take credit for it, but um, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just talking out the side of my mouth at this yeah, point Yeah, I mean, time. well, it's kind of interesting because I think I read a report on CNBC, or sorry, not CNBC, MSNBC today, talking about how you have record high stock profits, you've grown it, you know, above potential for the last two quarters. Unemployment is at rates that normally are associated with close to full employment, and everyone tells us that the economy sucks. So there's obviously a disconnect between the economic growth factors and mainstream, um, you know, America. So, you know, where's the growth coming from? Is it, you know, being factored by inequality, which makes it so that we can still grow, but, you know, the spending isn't trickling down to the, uh, you know, middle-class consumer, and you're not seeing the wage gains that, you know, you would normally associate with a record high stock price, and especially with, uh, you know, an economy close to full employment. So... You know, it's one of those disconnects where, you know, things are improving, but it's not being felt by, you know, the middle class. And so even though we've seen things get better, you know, the middle class still isn't seeing it. They're, they're you know, basically sitting on the edge saying, I don't understand why you think things are getting better. My job still sucks and my pay still sucks. We saw a – well, I'm going to stick with that one for a second because falling short-term unemployment – could spark wage growth. True, false, or am I off base? It should. I mean, should. basically what you're saying is that as the unemployment level falls, there's less people um, unemployed, and that should make the wage earners have more control over you know, the wages because employers are going to have a harder time keeping their current workforce because you know, as supply tightens on the labor market, you know, people will look at other jobs and, and employers will have to give raises in order to attract the talent. So what's been odd in this recovery is that we've been seeing a very big downward move in the unemployment rate, but we haven't seen anything in income growth. So it's telling us either A, you know, the unemployment rate really isn't a, a correct statistic. It's not really where we're at. Or B, you know, consumers and, and workers are not demanding wages because they're fearful that if they do demand something they're going to you know get let go and they don't want to take the chance of you know you know asking for higher pay and facing the consequences if the uh, you know if your boss says no I was noticing the statistics today short term unemployment rate stood at 4% long term unemployment rate is people out of work for more than 27 weeks at 1.9% um, but short term unemployment instead of total unemployment, is the better predicator of wage moves. And I, I feel, I'm not going to say I feel good, but I'm giving a thumbs up from a distance to that. I mean, the statistics all show things that are getting you know, much, much better. The question is, are the statistics correct? Now, and the one problem with the unemployment rate is that it doesn't include discouraged workers. So if you've left the labor force, you know, we don't see you. You're gone. It, it makes no effect. So we're left with a, um, a populational employment level that, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, isn't impacted by discouraged workers is still really, really low. And especially if you look at the important, um, which you call key uh, or main wage earners, the ages of 24 to 54, you know, those people are not employed at the same rate as they were in the past which makes it seem that the wage growth that, you know, the unemployment rate is expecting may not come for some time still. 
Anything else that you're looking at today that I saw the services numbers look pretty good? Anything that you're looking at that you want to comment on in your last minute here? Yeah, I think that uh, the service numbers were fine. I mean, I have a really hard time dealing with the ISM numbers. I mean, if you looked at the ISM manufacturing reports, you had a really nice recovery after a one-month dip. But if you looked at all the regional manufacturing reports put out by the Fed, uh, you know, it showed a slowdown in, in manufacturing growth. If you looked at it in September, you had the opposite. You had all the regional surveys showing improvements, and then the ISM pulled back. So it's really difficult to get a judge on where the economy is based on the um, these ISM surveys. Same thing with uh, consumer surveys and consumer sentiment and stuff like that. I try to, to keep away from that. I'm really interested in seeing what happens on Friday with the employment report. You know, we've had an unemployment – or, sorry, the initial claims level – hit 260 this month, we've had some really impressive numbers. People are not getting laid off. You know, normally we would expect to see payroll gains. You know, I'm expecting 275,000, and really when I was putting my forecast together, I thought that was light uh, based on where the initial claim numbers were and based on just overall trends. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something in the 300,000 range based on those claims levels. So I, I really want to see how things move and uh, you know, if we don't see a big payroll gain, I'd really like to see how the average hourly earnings go. So if we have low payroll gains, it could be because there's just not enough people in the in the um, you know available to work, which would boost you know require that boost in, in gotcha. uh, wages. I could talk to you all day. Thanks for your time and your efforts and your smarts. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com, an unbiased source of information, independent live market analysis, U.S. international. And, of course, all about the economy as well. I'm Rob Black. Not a lot of great stories out there today because the elections are just so darn in our face. Bloodbath. For all around America today, it's being touted as a blowout victory for the Republicans. This isn't unprecedented. Something pretty similar happened in the second um, under Bill Clinton with the Congress coming in and they had their 100-day agenda. It was pretty rough. The headlines uh, pretty brutal. Basically, you know, saying that he's been ineffective as a president. Um, I was speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen a bit earlier, and, you know, I was like, hey, are Republicans truly good for the economy? He's like, well, it depends. Their talk is good, but they're, they're in, you know, uh, reality, they tend to like George Bush ran up the, you know, the deficit, and you know there are some issues there for sure. It's going to open up a wild 2016 campaign season starting, I guess, probably in about six, seven, eight months. Probably will start early. The amount of money spent on 
elections. Egregious. And almost tragic. Four billion dollars. Um, you know, midterm elections, four billion dollars. There was one race that cost a hundred million plus dollars. That's a boatload of cash. It's ten times more than what the government has committed to fighting Ebola in West Africa. It would be enough to build a hundred treatment centers and run them for years. It could buy 25 F-18 jet fighters. It could pay for more than 12,000 K-12 through educations and have enough left over to produce a summer. It's more sense to think about elections for what they are, which are glorified marketing campaigns. It took Apple, the world's most valuable company, the last four years or so to spend $4 billion in advertising. With some sense of scale for the cash being thrown around, you know, it's a lot of influence it's bought. Outside spenders try to buy influence. There's you know, that black pool of money, probably a billion out of the four billion. Um, a dark money group in Kentucky working to reelect state Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell spent about 7.5 million. And we have the best politics that money can buy, hands down. It is a broken system, and anyone who disagrees with that. Shame on you. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Uh, women are building bigger businesses. One of the election themes yesterday was women's rights. That went over real well in two elections. Uh, minimum wage went over well. Legalized marijuana went over really well. But back to women in business. On average, women entrepreneurs start more companies and their main businesses uh, make more in revenue. So, French bank Paribas, BNP Paribas, uh, they did a survey. They focused on individuals worth at least $2 million, excluding their main residence, though the average respondent was worth about $7 million. The survey that they found was that average women entrepreneurs launch 4.9 companies, men launch 4.3. Women entrepreneurs also have more success growing their main business, reported average annual sales of $9.1 million, their male rivals $8.4 million. Average age of an entrepreneurial decision, it's a little bit older for one. 30.5 years for a man, 29.9. Time to go from the idea to starting business. Both of them come in around 20 months. There's no difference between a man and a woman in the entrepreneurial world. However, women often lack the confidence to start the business, and maybe they start a little bit later because of that. Family history matters most in a lot of the countries that were part of the survey. If your parents were entrepreneurs, then you were likely to become an entrepreneur. That's interesting to see. San Francisco approved a $15 minimum wage. Not too shabby. Now, again, to live in San Francisco, you might need a little bit more than $15 an hour. Because it ain't cheap. So you do 15 times, let's say you work 160 hours a month. Uh, 2400 a month. You know, times that by 12, and then you come up with, you know, $28,000, $800 a year. You take out at least 10% of that, at least 20%, probably 35%. And you can see that's still not great. It's better than a stick in the eye. But you can see where their, you know, apartment in San Francisco running anywhere between $1,000 for a closet to $3,500 for 
one bedroom, one bath kind of thing. And it's getting worse. Facebook is reporting a dramatic rise in government data requests. Uh, watch what you post on Facebook. Assume that the world will see it. Other stories of note today. Coca-Cola has introduced a new product, Coca-Cola Life. It seems to be a hit with marketers. The surveys on it are pretty positive. It's a product that is green-looking. It's partially sweetened with stevia. Coca-Cola announced it's nationally rolling out the 60-calorie, 8-ounce soda with no artificial sweeteners. And the research on it, again, is saying, you know, we haven't seen a product in the beverage space hitting on all cycles like this for years. Um, I've done thousands of store interviews in my career, and it's very uncommon for consumers to call a store and request a product to be put aside, says one marketer. Interesting. Hey, you can find me online at robblack.com. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Don't be shy. I can always interact with you. Any questions you have, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. If it's a stock question, I'll answer it on air. If it's a theory question, I'll get back to you. Take a break here. We'll talk soon. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.